The reason the carriers are using this type of technology is because they're trying to improve coverage, but they're also looking at capacity. This is episode 239 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Last week, we talked to Lincoln, Nebraska, a community using its fiber and conduit resources to improve wireless service in the city using small cell technology. In this episode, Christopher gets the perspective of an infrastructure company that works on small cell deployment with wireless carriers. Duffy Newman is the Acquisitions Manager in Corporate Development and Strategy for Crown Castle. Chris and Duffy touch on the function of Crown Castle, and Duffy offers more detail on how small cells work and the difference between the new small cell technology and the traditional mobile wireless systems. Hey folks, this is Chris Mitchell, the host of Community Broadband Bits, and I just wanted to ask you if you could do us a real big favor to help us spread this show around, and that's to jump on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, and to give us a rating, give us a little review, um, particularly if you like it. If you don't like it so much, then, then maybe don't do that, um, but if, you, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and help us to build the audience a bit. Thanks. Now here's Christopher talking with Duffy Newman, Acquisitions Manager in Corporate Development and Strategy for Crown Castle. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And today I'm speaking with Duffy Newman, the Acquisitions Manager in Corporate Development and Strategy at Crown Castle. Welcome to the show, Duffy. Thanks, Chris. I'm very glad to have you on. This show is following one week after we've just talked a little bit about what Lincoln is doing with small cells. So uh, I'm excited that our audience has some sense of how one city is dealing with it. But now I think we're going to talk a little bit more about what small cells are and and offer people a better explanation. Um, But I think the best place to start would be with what Crown Castle does. Can you tell us a little bit about this company? Yeah, you bet. For for those of you who aren't aware, um, you know, we're a publicly traded company. Um, and we provide wireless carriers with the infrastructure they need to keep the carriers going and businesses connected. Because of that, we're the largest shared wireless infrastructure in the top 100 markets. Um, we have about 2,800 employees nationally with local intimate knowledge of all of our assets. We're based in Houston, Texas, but our operational headquarters are in Pittsburgh. Um, from an infrastructure perspective, we've got about 40,000 towers and we also refer to those as macro sites. We currently have uh, around 18,000 small cell nodes, and we support over 26,000 miles of fiber with our recent acquisition of FPNL. So essentially what we're trying to do is design, develop, it, and operate fiber-fed DAS and small cell networks that our clients can improve their overall signal strength and network capacity and coverage. And I think it's important to note that we don't look at, at the network just as outdoor. We also do indoor installations as well for our small cell and, and, uh, solutions. But from our outdoor solutions, we really focus in on public right-of-ways. Um, we look at doing deployments at universities and colleges. Some of the venues include stadiums and arenas, you know, theme parks and hotels and resorts and things along those lines. But we also focus in on very densely populated areas. And the reason is, from a marketing perspective, that's where the carriers are, are using their spend. And so we also look into HOAs that have kind of high-end, you know, exclusive communities. And HOAs are? Housing authorities, kind of something smaller, like you might have it in your local neighborhood where you pay an HOA fee, um, you know, 30 bucks a month. They might do your trash. 
they might do uh, some snow removal depending upon the part of the country that you're in. But right. in essence, they're, they're kind of a, a local-owned agency. Um, but I think it's also important, Chris, that we let you know a little bit about kind of who we are, and that is it seems like what I described there is kind of a behemoth nationally. But really what we're, we're trying to do is make as much impact to the local community as possible. And we do that trying to, by trying to be environmentally friendly and conscious. We also are aware that nobody wants to see a big red and white lattice structure in their backyard from a wireless perspective. You know, we also do a, a, a very specific and detailed job to abide by all local jurisdictions and municipalities rules, um, NEPA requirements, SHPO requirements, things that have uh, you know, historic elements is, is what a SHPO would be. And, and I think from an environmental perspective, I think it's also important, and you and I have talked about this before, but you know, if, if we're looking at disruption in a community for deployment of wireless infrastructure services, we like to use the expression of dig once. And that's where you know, we're, we're minimally invasive to the community, we're minimally, minimally invasive to those that are seeing us, us out there. And so dig once from an infrastructure perspective is, is something we're pretty big on. So you had mentioned um, all your different tower locations, but let's just make sure people recognize what do you do. Uh, you're not competing with Verizon and Sprint and AT&T, T-Mobile, those companies and, and others. You're, they're actually your clients, right? That's exactly right. In fact, through the years, we've actually purchased towers from AT&T and Verizon and the carriers in the past. So what they're looking at trying to do is you know, offload non-essential assets that they have because they realize that they're in the service of providing wireless customers um, capacity, which is a spectrum play. So non-core assets for them would be owning a network. So they would like to defer their costs as much as possible to, to offset that. And that's where Crown Council gets in. Great. And we're going to talk uh, toward the end a little bit more about how uh, this interfaces with local governments, local fiber networks, and that sort of thing. But um, you mentioned small cell, and you also mentioned DAS, which is uh, distributed antenna systems. Um, can you just give us a sense of what small cells are and maybe also how they might differ from DAS? Uh, are these terms interchangeable? Some people refer to them uh, synonymously, although from a technology perspective, they're not necessarily the same. And what I mean by that is a small cell is generally a, a, a small ecosystem originating out of a hub, which is different than a distributed antenna system or a DAS. So a, a hub system um, or small cell system, generally the system is going to be designed and built back to a macro site location or a tower site location where, in this case, Crown Castle owns real estate that we can you know, build another box and put you know six or seven elements for equipment in there, and then that those components control the small cells, which is different than a distributed antenna system, which is more of you know I think of it more of a venue installation, where you're you're generally constrained based on the size of a building, and it's got a little different RF radio frequency issues that have to be designed out there. But generally speaking. The systems from a DAS network and a small cell network operate very similarly. So what they need to operate is from the main electronics controlling everything, what we call backhaul, which is going back to a main switch network. Um, but they also have uh, generally fiber that is pulled out to the small cell nodes or to the DAS nodes, and we would call that front haul. So the reason the carriers 
are using this type of technology is because they're trying to pr improve coverage to, you know, such as shopping malls or stadiums, but they're also looking at capacity where a, a macro network as, it's as it has been designed is not necessarily meeting all of the customer's needs and requirements. A, a small cell system is generally installed in the public right-of-way. We can do it on private property as well, but it, it comes with a little, a little different complexities there. But it's also important to know that we do everything we can to utilize existing ducts and fiber that may have a municipality may have or have access to. And we also utilize existing infrastructure from utility poles or light poles. And the idea is that we try to blend our equipment into the, the, the atmosphere of what's going on in a neighborhood. For example, if it's a gas lamp district, nobody wants to see you know, an eyesore out there. So we'll design a technology that can be deployed that might replace a gas, an antique gas lamp with something that looks like an antique gas lamp, but has electronics for a small cell node. You know, we try to use the right-of-ways as much as possible. I think that one of the reasons that uh, I felt like it's important enough to talk about small cells is that it seems like this isn't just kind of a new thing. This is the direction that wireless is going in that um, this isn't a, something that's going to be happening for a few years. It's that um, we're going to see more and more small cells for possibly the rest of my life. Who knows? Uh, but certainly for at least the next 10, 15 years, right? I would, I would totally agree with that. If you think back of how wireless got started, um, you know, let's rewind, say, 20 years ago, right, when I was getting in the industry. And, and we're looking up and driving along the side of the highway, and you might see a 400-foot tower out there. And on top of that 400-foot tower, you might look up really closely and see a couple things hanging off of it, and those are the antennas. And those antennas are at 400 feet, and what they're doing is they're actually kind of propagating RF, which is spectrum, which is what actually enables your phone to operate. So when you're driving along the highway, your phone is actually connected to only that 400-foot tower. Right. Let's just be very clear. Our phones are not talking to satellites. They're talking to towers that are nearby. Oh, that's exactly right. You know, people think that, you know, if you and I are in the same room together and I call you on my mobile phone to your mobile phone, that they have an instant connection. And then they recognize there's a delay. And so what's happening is if I'm on carrier A, then I'm actually going up through the, the wireless air to, my, to a tower that then is switched through fiber to the public telephone switching network. That public telephone switch network identifies where your phone number may be, and it goes back and it finds your cell site that you're currently registered to, and it sends it back down to your network. So you may be, I may be carrier A, you may be carrier B, the only wireless that we have is from our handset to the tower. So as you can imagine, at 400 feet, that's a lot of difference distance to cover. So as time has gone on, what the carriers have done is with the number of users getting onto the system, is they've actually lowered, we call them rad centers. They're, they're lowering, lowering effectively the height of the antennas. But when they do that, they actually need more towers and sites which is why we've got 40,000 macro or uh, cellular tower sites. So we're trying to, to cover as best as we possibly can. So now, for example, in a market where we might have been at 400 feet, we could, in theory, be at 120 feet high. But that same distance that we were covering at 400 feet, we might have five towers. 
So let's fast forward here into the to the you know rollout of the, the smartphones and the connected phones, where everybody loves to be connected and watch YouTube videos of their cats or what's going on in ESPN or latest you know CNN blurb from you know the current president of the United States. And so when that happens, we are consuming an enormous amount of data on the systems. In order for the carriers to provide a unique user experience that has low latency, which means it doesn't buffer where your, your phone is kind of going into queue, um, and it's, you're actually having a good, almost a real-time experience when you're watching video. For them to do that, they would take a particular cell site, let's call it now at 120 feet, and off of that cell site, they might deploy what's called small cell nodes. And in that ecosystem of small cell nodes, they could deploy anywhere between six to 10 small cells. And what they're trying to do is have a very close, unique user experience that is different than going up to 120 feet high. These small cells are deployed at roughly 20 to 25 feet in the air. So as you're driving along the highway, you're actually picking them up more frequently, especially in a more densely populated area. Yes, and so you know, you, rather than having you know hundreds of people presumably on a 120 foot site, you'd probably have tens of people on a small cell site. So you have, you know, you're sharing it with fewer uh, other competing devices. Exactly. Exactly. So this is, this is something that comes up then. So, I mean, in order to deliver the, this high-quality experience, to actually you know, get some of these benefits that 4G is capable of that, that most of us may not be seeing on our, on our daily basis because 4G can do much greater capacity than most of us experience, um, these, are, uh, these small cells are often connected by fiber, it seems like. Is that right? That, that's absolutely correct. Initially, the technology we felt in the industry we could have done it through microwave. And microwave is a very small bandwidth spectrum that has limited capacity. Um, and so initially when these networks were deployed, we're like, hey, we can, we can microwave these things and we don't actually have to tear up streets and drill and, and pull fiber in every location. And what we found is that the users are consuming far too much data for them at this point in time to go over a different microwave spectrum. Uh, that brings us to the opportunity, which is how do we how do we connect better? And that is through fiber. From a fiber perspective, I think before I mentioned we have somewhere around 26,000 miles of fiber, and and what we're doing with that fiber is we're not just connecting our cell sites back to the carrier's main switches. We're actually trying to deploy those small cell nodes on our existing fiber networks. So the importance of that is that. If we have fiber in a marketplace and a carrier says we want to deploy, chances are pretty good we're going to win that opportunity to, to build that network out. If we do not have any fiber in that particular area and the carrier says, hey, we really want to build a, another market, then, then we're looking at trying to do what we will call a public-private partnership, where we'll look in a community and say, what assets do you have available? Is there municipal fiber available? Is there a municipal conduit available that we can pull fiber into and through and connect these small cell nodes? So, you know, all in all, it's an, it's an ecosystem of fiber really being the glue that binds everything together. And so we're actually talking about fiber that's uh, pretty deep into neighborhoods. I mean, you know, it may not be down your street, but it's going to be within walking distance. It seems like it'll have to be. It, it is. 
generally speaking, a small cell, the way that it, if they're designed and how they kind of cover the area, you can assume if it's, if it's radiating in a full circle, and let's say that there's, there's not a hill, there's nothing really kind of restricting its ability to get it out there, we're saying that each small cell might be able to cover maybe, maybe the distance of two football fields side by side. You know, if you're looking at saying, hey, we're going to have these on every light pole and every street along small, small town USA, big town USA, it's going to depend upon what the carrier's requirements are. So it's not something that people should really be afraid of, but it's really something that people should say, hey, we see this thing, we know our coverage is better, and, uh, and it makes sense. Right. And, and in some cases, um, I think a lot of people won't even notice because especially when you have um, what's called the cantenna, um, you know, you, it may just be a slightly different shape to a street pole and they may not even really realize it. Although, um, you know, if they look closely, there will be some differences they could tell. So I, I was challenged recently, Chris, um, in, a, uh, in a very um, connected city to identify all of the cell sites. And again, I've been in the industry for 20 years and, uh, and I looked around, and I only found about half of them. Huh. And, uh, and the reason is, is that the city was not just connected with small cells and macro cells, but I, I missed the obvious ones, which is what a Wi-Fi connected node look like, looks like. And, um, and when they pointed out to me, I was like, oh, man. And then I started looking, and, and it was amazing the number of wireless deployments that existed in this particular location. And it was, a, it was what we would call maybe a Tier 2 city. It was it was fascinating. That is that is interesting. I'll have to play that game myself when I'm uh, around someone that will be able to um, tell me if I'm getting it right or not. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> otherwise, I just won't know if I found them all. Um, tell me, how can local governments uh, play a role? And in particular, you know, um, you and I had talked about how. Uh, there may be opportunities for local governments that have some infrastructure to to work with you and lease it out. You bet. So I think suffice it to say that the public right of ways are essential pathways for the deployment of assets. Um, and I was speaking with a a lobbyist today, and the current House of Representatives agenda does not have infrastructure on their docket for early this year. It's it's going to be likely hitting the docket in in the fall. And, and the reason I was asking that question is I'm wondering where the White House is going to come out with this from an infrastructure perspective. Sure. Currently, we think of infrastructure as you know, water, sewer, and power. But communications doesn't necessarily fall within the critical infrastructure's guidelines unless it has to do with first responders. And, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset, I think we as, a, as an industry are of the mindset to say when we lose communications or if we lose communications – we're going to have some other challenges to handle. Having critical infrastructure communications part in, in that as well would really help us out there. As you're saying that, it's just worth noting that uh, 48 U.S. senators have just signed on to a letter um, urging the president to expand broadband access. Um, so um, it is something in which I think a lot of people agree it is urgent infrastructure, although it's um, it doesn't always spring to mind in that same way. Uh, but I think you're just going to get back to the local government, so I'll let you do that. You know, from a local perspective, what infrastructure we're trying to get access to, and I, I'll, I'll use that expression dig once, to be minim minimally disruptive in a community, is we'd like to have access to the ducts, to the conduits, to the fiber. If there are utility poles and associated equipment being deployed in the rights of way, We'd like to facilitate and help with the build out of those broadband networks. You know, municipalities experience the right of ways by use of the, you know, electric companies, the cable providers, 
and we should use that as a as a as a guideline for all small cell infra infrastructure as well going forward. So some of the things that that might hurt us or slow us down from a communications perspective would be perhaps excessive requirements, you know, such as like zoning for each new utility pole, provided that you know a, a pole that's in the ground today is substantially similar to what the existing infrastructure is, or allowing us to so they could now allow us to co-locate on existing structures where the fees are not you know out of line with what might someone else have access in the right of way a lot of cities in the past because of these 120 foot towers type applications they've gone on them and they've wanted to do an in-depth review um what i what i notice is happening in lincoln and in boston and other places is um, they basically set up a system in which they're for the small cells where they're like okay if you want to replace this kind of street light um, in this, in, in most of these neighborhoods, and there might be just a few neighborhoods that have historic designations that don't count, but 90% of the city, that's going to be an expedited process. So, you know, um, it, it provides a little bit more certainty and it's a, it's a streamlining that I think is pretty reasonable. You're spot on. When we look at each, we'll call it utility pole. We have to look at the structural, structural integrity of each and every pole to be certain that Effectively, it's not going to get blown over. It's, we're going to be able to load the equipment that we have on there without putting anybody in jeopardy in that area. And so if there is a like-for-like like replacement, for example, if it's a wood pole, we'd want to replace it with a wood pole that may be more straight or a wood pole that, that has been tested and does not have bug decay. Um, or we may want to do a concrete pole or a steel pole or aluminum pole whatever like for like might be that can meet the requirements for the, the deployment of the equipment, but also fit and blend in within the community as well. I think, you know, some of the model legislation really recognizes that expediting the process with reasonable and non-discriminatory rates and fees for each deployment are really essential for the construction and maintenance of the networks. You know, our goal is to, to do it right every single time out there. One of the things that I always like to highlight is where communities are doing it well, because I think um, a lot of communities are struggling with what a good model is. And if we can highlight those, hopefully we'll have more of them. So where's one that, that you'd point to that other communities should look at emulating? One of the greatest examples of success that Crown Castle has had and the carriers have had happened uh, about a year ago when the Pope came to Philadelphia. You know, that's a very historic area. A lot of Philadelphia is. Uh, the Pope was going to be basically going from, you know, downtown out to where Rocky climbed the steps. I think he was doing a, a tour of the, the cheesesteak locations. He's a very, very new Pope. <laughs> exactly. The, the carriers got together and there was an estimate of 900,000 people that were going to come out and, and, and greet, greet the Pope. Um, there was an enormous stress and strain that was going to be put on the network. And it's one thing from the perspective of you and I sitting there watching the Pope come by in the Pope mobile and being able to communicate. But there is a, a, a more pressing issue, and that is the Secret Service had to have connectivity. And Secret Service, yes, they utilize their own network, but they also use a lot of commercial services on many of the carriers. So, you know, what, what the carriers were looking at is saying is from a, a public safety first responder perspective, we have to make this make this go. So what happened there, Chris, is that we coordinated with the planner of the event and obtained approvals from six separate departments in Philadelphia. 
In addition, we obtained permits from the Pennsylvania State Historic Preservation Offices. You know, we had six or seven different entities that we had to coordinate out there because each piece of the infrastructure had to be fully utilized and had to, had to, had to have a shared solution across multiple carriers to preserve the beauty of what was going on there. So you, you lay all this together and you say, well, that's pretty cool, but what does fiber have to do with it? Fiber had everything to do with it. We had to design the fiber network. We had to get approval. We had to install all the equipment. We had to test it. We had to calibrate it. Everything had to be done within nine months. So all of this in an effort to support you and I sitting there watching the Pope come by in the Pope mobile, and now we're on Facebook Live. And it was a huge suck on the whole system out there. So what we did was we submitted the solution to, to handle everything out there, not just for what was going on in the parkway so that we could have you know, coverage there, but we also said this infrastructure was going to stay out there. So we installed 37 new small cell nodes on all these poles in the right-of-way, and they, all designed, they were all designed to blend in with the existing streetlights. So as with the other historic areas that we've done, like in Central Park and the French Quarter in New Orleans, the installation was you know, virtually unobtrusive to, uh, to high, the high standards of what was going on in Philadelphia. So, you know, at the end of the day, when the crowds came and the Pope came by, the, uh, the carriers were just overwhelmed with the amount of data. One carrier reported that they used over 12.6 terabytes of data on their network. And in comparison, that 12.6 terabytes of data is almost seven and a half times the amount of data in 2015 as for the Super Bowl. Wow. And it all happened because the three carriers that tied into our neutral host infrastructure network connected directly. Right. And that's just a reminder to people that you really need fiber to move that kind of data. I, I, I tell you, without it, it's, the system is just going to be, you won't be able to connect. Nothing will go through. Um, Tuffy, I really appreciate uh, all your time and talking about these issues. Absolutely, Chris. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for your efforts and what you're doing there. That was Christopher talking with Duffy Newman, Acquisitions Manager and Corporate Development and Strategy for Crown Castle. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thanks to Admiral Bob for the song Turbo Tornado, licensed through Creative Commons, and thanks for listening to episode 239 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>